Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. This is Emma Whitfield, account manager at the Webbies. Before we get started with the show, I just wanted to let you know that the winners of the 22nd Annual Webby Awards have been announced. We're so excited to celebrate the best of the internet this year, so go check them out in all their glory in the Webby Winners Gallery at webbyawards.com. And make sure to congratulate your favorites on social. Okay, let's start the show. Hey, welcome back. Today, in celebration of Webby Winners being announced, and for all you fans of the, the, list of lists, and labels on label makers, it's the Webby Podcast on Podcasts. That's right, I brought two of my colleagues, Claire Graves and Steve Marchese, into the studio, and we talked about, but more importantly played, some of our Webby Podcast winners. Whether you're a huge podcast listener or just getting your must-listens figured out, I feel pretty good about saying you are going to discover some great new shows to listen to and love on today's episode. I know I did. So with that, let's get into the studio with Steve and Claire, and let's get this listening session going. All right. I am here with two executives of the Webby Awards, the executive director, Claire Graves. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me back, David Michelle. Again, back in the saddle is Steve Marchese, our executive producer. Thanks for having me. You know, I think the last time we did this, we talked about some of the nominees. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the winners in the podcast category. I pulled the two of you in here specifically because you're both great lovers of podcasts and are very opinionated about them. Um, And I thought this would be a great day to talk about some of our favorite podcasts and really some of our favorites that are winners. We've just seen them. We've just picked out some of our favorites that we wanted to talk about here. So let's get into it. Steve, you know what I thought we would start with with you? Because I believe it is such a classic from the year of 2017. It is a winner in the best series for podcasts. It is a winner in best writing. I know it was one of your favorite podcasts. It is. It is S-Town. On some level, there was a point in 2017 that if you didn't say the word S-Town five times a day, you were like living, you know, under the theoretical cave or whatever. But enough time has passed. What, looking back on S-Town, what is it about it that you think was so great and why do you love it? Tell us a bit about it. Sure, I'm happy to. Um, You know, it's funny because like this is the water cooler thing that we were talking about all year for the most part, Uh, often literally by the water cooler which is in our kitchen over at the Webby Awards office. I want to point out that our water cooler does not have a plastic bottle. It's directly tied into the water, so we do not waste lots of plastic bottles at our water cooler. That's a good point, actually. Yep. Back to S-Town. It's so. not even a cooler. It's a heater and a cooler. It just comes in. Um, back to S-Town. And to uh, frequent trips in the Honda CRV up the New York State fru- Thruway with my wife. Uh, and... <laughs> sometimes with my son, who's nine, listening to S-Town, which is short for shit town, as you may or may not know, Um, which really we got excited about it because we had just finished Serial and we got excited about that, which was uh, something that was a Webby winner uh, in the past. 
And um, we produced knew, by the same, believe it or not, produced by the same team, team that comes from This American Life, also yep. big Webby winners in the past. Which is Mr. Brian Reed, actually, behind both of those things as well, as a big part of it. And he's the host of S-Town. And basically what, what the podcast, if you're unfamiliar with it at all. So uh, the series started with an email that was sent to Brian Reed. Um, and it was from John B. McLemore. And it said, John B. McLemore lives in Shittown, Alabama. And that's all the email said. That was the, the subject line. So he investigated a little bit. And then, you know, what sort of happened from there is this incredibly rich, complex mystery, if you will, uh, that takes place in the South in Alabama. And uh, the characters are like phenomenal. They're, they're almost unbelievable. Um, and it gets deeper and deeper. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's death and there's life and there's gold smelting and just it gets really weird and complicated i and do remember you talking about the word smelting for a number of i know you did and off gassing as well off-gassing, you're, yeah. you're and claire you were a big you're a big s-towner yeah we liked it right? steve and i nerded over it together we yeah. did and i think that the one of the best things about it is the john b malcolm it's just the they there's so many phone conversations and just listening to him talk on the phone is so interesting because the man was so unbelievably bright there were multiple times that I think Claire and I both talked about how this couldn't be real. Like this guy can't be a real person. He's just, he's too interesting. He's like, I mean, he's eloquent beyond his vocabulary. Mm -hmm. His, you know, just, he's, he's a fish out of water if there ever was one before. Um, and they capture the, all of the eccentricities that this guy brings. Uh, Brian Reed is able to sort of coax it out of him as a really phenomenal interviewer. So you just get enveloped in this massive, deep story. Uh, we binged it, you know, as we were driving and just you constantly want more from it. For me, it was the, the standout of the year in my personal sort of podcast uh, narrative world. Do you guys correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that like if there's any listeners out there that haven't listened to S-Town, this is sort of like not having watched The Wire, right? Like you have this beautiful wrapped gift full of like incredible content in there that you could just open up at any time. And to some extent, you two are both jealous of that person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, if I could listen, yeah, start all over again. I mean, it's like, it's more like making a murderer, you know, it's that. Exactly. That... That's what I was going to say. It's like making a murderer. Also a Webby winner. Yep. Also a Webby winner. With that, let's, let's take a listen to S-Town. Hi, it's Brian. Hey. Here we are. This is happening. <laughs> It's all that that awkward moment of silence when you realize after about a year it finally happens. When I make this call, it's been a year since John first emailed. We'd written back and forth a couple times over the months, but we never talked until one day he sent me a message, and this time it had a link to a news report. The news story was about a sergeant with the Bibb County Sheriff's Department. Bibb County is where John lives who'd been indicted for pulling women over and forcing them into sexual acts, both on the side of the road and back at the station. Another guy allegedly helped cover up this abuse. I thought, if corruption like this existed in the Bibb County Sheriff's Department, then maybe the other rumor John had written to me about could also be true. Then maybe it was possible a murder had happened, and had then been covered up. So, finally, I get him on the phone, and we talk for a while. Yeah, you know, I, my life is kind of a, a nut house because I take care of my mom that has Alzheimer's, and we're in about our seventh or eighth year of that. So sorry about the other day when you tried to call and all hell had busted loose. No, I'm sorry. Course, you have to deal with that. I'm sorry. 
And, of course, losing the dog the other week, that didn't help. You know, I take in strays, which shouldn't surprise you. You know, considering where I live, you shouldn't be the least bit surprised that these people out here just dump their dogs out on the side of the road. At one time, I've had as many as 21. I got 14 now. Well, 13, yeah. So that was that was really hard because that was an old dog and a good dog. But... Yeah, that's another one of my projects that I take on. I'm sort of the local humane society. Do you do you have a lot of property? Uh, I like to say it's my grandfather's property. It's a, it's 128 acres. And you grew you grew up in Woodstock, is that right? Yeah, if you, Woodstock. This this whole area needs to be defined. You know, if you look at the demographics charts of the state of Alabama and go over the poorest counties, Bibb County is maybe the fifth worst county to live in. We are one of the child molester capitals of the states. Claire Graves, the last time we spoke, uh, we're looking at nominees, you shared with us some of the experiences you liked. I also know that you're a big fan of the arts and culture podcast category. Love uh, arts and culture. I believe. Do you want to share with us which uh, the winner in that category? So the winner in that category is actually one of the favourites here at the Webby Awards office. It's from MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. So it's from Abby Jacobson. So she was a fine artist and she has this podcast which is basically based on the premise that, um, you know, some people are a little too afraid to ask questions about contemporary art. So she asks the questions. And she's had some really awesome people on the podcast. She's had Tavi Gevinson, who was also on your podcast. She's also had RuPaul. Another big favourite here at the Webby Awards, Quest Love, who often DJs the Webby Awards after party. And another Webby Awards person, Hannibal Barres, who we were just talking about, has also been on the podcast. Former Webby Award host. Former host from the 20th Annual Webby Awards. And we just interviewed Paola Antonelli for the podcast, who's a curator of design at the moment. Look at this. Sort of it's all part of our world. It is, yeah. All right. Well, let's with that, let's go ahead and take a listen to the Arts and Culture winner for the Webby Awards in 2017 podcast, Piece of Work. From my art school days, I know that one of the starting places for modern art is the sculpture I'm standing in front of now. It's a bicycle wheel on top of a stool. It's by Marcel Duchamp. He made the first version in 1913, and he called it Bicycle Wheel. So we're not supposed to spin it, are we? <laughs> it feels like it wants to be spun. And my friend that I brought to look at it with me, Hannibal Burris. He's smart, he's funny, he's not afraid to get up close to the goods. Maybe too close. But why can't I spin it? If nobody's here. He used to spin it to like kind of think and then that's how it became okay. a thing. Bicycle Wheel was one of the first of a kind of art called ready-mades. Art made with super common, everyday objects you might buy at a store. Yeah, that just looks like some high shit. Yo, what if I put the wheel in a store? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and so a lot of people get like angry about it because they're like, well, it's in this gallery with these masters. Oh, it wouldn't make me angry, but it's just like, no. Yeah. Moving along. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bicycle Wheel was a crazy idea when it came out. Super controversial, too. Up until this, art was beautiful. Art was rarefied. Art was elite. But now, what Duchamp was saying was basically anything can be art. And if anything can be art, then anyone can be an artist. In other words, 
fuck that. Art isn't what you say it is, it's what anyone says it is. He started doing some of this work because he was like trying to test like a jury system yeah. of an art show, uh -huh. if he could get in. I wanted to talk about the documentary podcast category. And last week or two weeks ago, Steve was talking about, when he was talking about some of the nominees, how exciting it is when you get into something, and this is exciting for us here at the Webbies, when we get into something and then way, way down the line, it turns out it gets entered and it gets nominated and all of a sudden we see that it like wins and we're like, oh my God, that was my favorite thing from, and that sort of happened to me with this podcast called Ear Hustle, uh, which is really incredible. Uh, it sort of brings you the inside life, inside life of prison. Uh, it was created and produced by an artist in the Bay Area named Nigel Poor. I hope I said his name right. Um, an inmate from San Quentin named Erlon Woods uh, and another partner there as well named Anton Williams. And they just talk about and interview people and really bring you all these different stories about what life is like in prison. It's interesting because there's all these visual images of prison from, from the movies, but I actually found that you, the sort of world that this creates in an audio experience is really incredible. And so you learn a lot about things like the shoe. There's this one episode called The Boom Boom Room, which is all about what it's like for inmates who are married, which actually there's a lot of inmates who are, there's a lot of people married, their spouse is not in prison. And so it's about how they like maintain a relationship. Um, they have a great episode uh, where they actually take questions from the public. So I really, you know, it's not necessarily like the happiest of topics, um, but I think particularly in this day and age where people are talking a lot about prison reform and trying to understand what it's like um, and really think more about that and, and think about that more critically. I think it really brings light a lot of issues that have sort of been under, uh, under the radar for quite some time. The first hour and the last hour of all the visits, the patio was couples only. I'm Erlon Woods, a prisoner at San Quentin State Prison in California. And I'm Nigel Poor, a visual artist who volunteers at San Quentin. And together, we're going to take you inside. E, you're not married. No, never been married. And since you're not married, as a resident of San Quentin, you don't have certain privileges. Like, what you getting at, Nige? Well, I'm getting at married people and how they get their time together. That's what we're talking about on this episode today, marriage, sex, and prison. When people think about having sex in prison, they always bring up dropping the soap and all that bullshit. That shit is cliche. It don't go down like that. It's way more complicated. And for some married inmates, it's really complicated. Some of them are allowed conjugal visits. Only four states allow them. Connecticut, New York, Washington, and here in California. People outside call them conjugal visits, but in here, we call them family visits. At San Quentin, the married guys who have them get to spend 48 hours with their family in a cottage on prison grounds. Okay, that's the official, legitimate way. But people being who they are, they're going to find a way to do their thing. And I'm not saying that this happens here at San Quentin, but sometimes people do find a workaround. Well, my special lady, her name is uh, Kathy. And we've been together for 21 years. That's Maverick. He's been locked up for about 20 years for robbery and murder. For the last six years, he's been at San Quentin. 
Mav and his girlfriend Kathy were together for eight months before they got married while he was in a county jail waiting on trial. We thought that was the only way that we was going to be able to, you know, to be intimate. On to something a little bit brighter. Uh, we have a, I mean, he's a bona fide legend in the sports category this year. I mean, this guy on some level, I don't know. I'm sure that somebody's going to be mad at that at me out there for saying this, but like you could absolutely say the godfather of podcasting, a podfather, whatever they call it, certainly up in the upper echelon of podcasters ever. Mr. Bill Simmons. Bill yes. Simmons podcast. Of course. Right? I mean, you know, it's funny, like so many of these things that we're talking about have won Webby's year after year and Bill Simmons we've had at the show before. Um, yes, the Bill Simmons podcast on The Ringer. It is the sports podcast to listen to. Um, I would say, and if you're a fan of Bill Simmons, I don't know if 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 you both are, Claire and DMD, but I think that... I like me some Bill Simmons. Like he's some a Bill great, Simmons. I think he's a great interview. He's, I don't listen to it every every episode, but I, I'm i attuned to like when certain people are on and people talk about it. And he's like, I think he's, to me, he's, I mean, maybe he's not like, and I had some previous issues back in the day with Howard Stern, but Howard Stern has evolved into being like a really one of the great interviews of our time. And I think Bill Simmons is sort of in the general world when it comes to sports, at least. He's back in the format that suits him really well. He was on TV for a little while with an experiment with HBO. I, lo- I enjoyed the show, but his sort of forte is the ability to sit down with somebody for a long amount of time. Uh, specifically in my mind right now, I'm thinking about the recent series of interviews he did with Kevin Durant from the uh, Golden State Warriors and really sat down with an athlete for hours upon hours, literally, and got really deep into things. You know, is able to have, carry that conversation, get people comfortable, they're eating dinner, they're drinking wine, and, you know, bring a conversation to a place where very few interviewers are able to take it with athletes. I think athletes like musicians or like actors are very sort of uh, careful with what they say these days, especially in the age of social media. And he's able to sort of coax it out of him with this like really Bill Simmons unique blend of pop culture references. He knows he knows what the kids like, you know, he knows what we do, people in our forties, et cetera. So yeah, it's 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 always a joy to listen to him talk to, with somebody because he's able to, for me at least, coax so much out of them in a really organic, natural way. He's not pressing people. Yeah. And the way that you hear in sports talk radio often is a lot of like, got to get the story, got to get the thing. He just sort of gets it out of people, which is really Do they nice. talk about the, the KD tweet? Or they talk about talk, tech. They talk about Twitter. About oh, yeah, yeah. About they talk the, about Twitter. The, the time that the guy <laughs> tweeted on behalf of KD. <laughs> I mean, that's the guy that would bring it up, wouldn't he? Like, they talk about uh, his recent investments in tech, and they, they sort of hit the tech stuff as well. Um, and he refers, it's it's funny that pejoratively he refers to Bill Simmons as a blog boy, <laughs> even though we know he's way, way more than that. But anyone that believes that he or she can coach an NBA team, I think uh, Kevin Durant has a little bit of blog boyism for him. So. <laughs> That's awesome. But it was, yeah, it's a, a really, really phenomenal podcast these days. I asked the listeners to send mailbag questions for you. Oh, I can't wait. This is an AKA, Ask Kevin Anything. But before we get into it, um, there was a there was like a minor NBA trade yesterday. Minor, um, very minor. Minor. The uh, the Celtics and Cavaliers decided to switch some players. Kyrie Irving is now a Celtic. Isaiah Thomas is on the Cavs. So is Jake Crowder. Um, there were rumors about this. You can't you can't pick that up in the. Can you pick that up? I heard it. Yeah, it's a little. People are playing video games upstairs. It's fine. 
Um, <laughs> oh yeah, don't worry. You it's know, fine. It's noise everywhere. People, yeah, people are Always. adults. So um, there were rumors about Kyrie and LeBron and things had fallen apart. Kyrie wanted to be traded. Did you think they he was actually going to get traded? Oh yeah, yeah. I figured it was real once I heard it. You know, and um, once Woj tweets at anything, it's real. Oh, so you believe Woj every time? Oh yeah, yeah. He's pretty accurate. God, how do I get to that level? Um, and get to that Woj level. I didn't believe it was because they didn't like each other, though. Yeah. So what do you think it was about? I, I, I heard Richard Jefferson say something that was really, really interesting. Um, and he kind of, what he said was like, Kyrie, to me, what I get from him is Kyrie is just a pure basketball player. He, he like crafted his skills since he was like eight, nine years old. You can just tell the way he plays. Like nobody plays like him. Yeah. So he's a pure basketball player. You know, he probably played playground ball. He probably, his pops probably took him to the roughest neighborhoods and threw him out there on the basketball court and just told him to just go play. So he built up the love for the game. So when you're around LeBron James, it's like, it's so much, so much that comes with that. It's like so much outside, like distractions and, conversations and just noise that just comes around just from being around LeBron James and Kyrie at the point like all right we lost the championship this whole season is going to be about if LeBron's going to leave or not like I'm ready for a new challenge like all that stuff kind of met at the pinnacle of you know why he wanted to leave and it just felt like he just wanted a situation where he could just be free from all of that and just play Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, well, so I was not, I got to tell you, Claire, when I saw that this was on your list, not a surprise. Oh, I thought me, that you were going to be annoyed because you would want it on your list. No, no. Let, let me tell you. If ever there was one thing I knew, I know a lot of things about Claire Graves, but if ever there was one thing anyone should know, it's that like she's like the ultimate fangirl of Marketplace. I, I mean, this is person you probably listened to every episode of Marketplace like five times. I love Marketplace. Many, I know you are a Marketplace fan as well. I mean, I like Marketplace a lot, but I also I like it in the car i used to when i take my kid uh my son to school we used to listen it would be on in the car in like the middle of wnyc and it did that little by the numbers thing it's so smart it's, it's, it's who so doesn't smart. love a little kai riz doll yeah, yeah it's great um but you are just like uh i mean I'm, I'm not gonna oversell this but you can go ahead and tell us about marketplace but this is specifically i think one episode right that yeah. was that was a winner here this year marketplace won in business 
And my favourite episode is an episode that came out at the end of last year. It's called The Sentence That Helped Set Off the Opioid Epidemic. It's based on Purdue's marketing of OxyContin when they launched the product. Um, And they marketed it with the false premise that it is less addictive than other drugs. Um, So it's super interesting. It sort of goes into how they marketed it. They marketed it really, really aggressively based on on that premise. And the marketing worked. It's like the the most popular drug. Um, physicians like really brought it up, and the sales reps really brought it up. Um, and you know, it's really kind of like one of the reasons that this country has such a crisis at the moment. Very interesting podcast. Yeah, and it's. I mean, I think it's really one of those stories that marketplace does so well, right? Which is, um, it's like these really big dumb stories. I don't mean that the story is dumb, but just like the topic is so obvious, like, oh, we should know about this. And somehow nobody has really done a story about it. And they go in and there's just like all this rich information Mm -hmm. and you really learn about why this thing happened. One thing in that episode I was really shocked to learn was how actually for most people, it's not that addictive, but there's just like this subset of people who are genetically really predisposed to being really, really, really addicted to Oxy. Yeah, I think if people are interested in that, and especially, again, it's another issue that's really been in the news and I think it's really Mm -hmm. important, it's a great place to learn more about it. Do it. Listen to it. You know, they're the ones that made the drug. They they knew, you know, before the FDA um, approves anything, I mean, there's studies done. I mean, they do human studies to find out the side effects of it. They knew it was addictive before they put it out. They had to. There's no way they, they didn't. But as we know, those studies to test OxyContin's abuse potential were never done. Even though in 1993, almost three years before OxyContin hit the market, a toxicologist with the FDA told Purdue she wanted abuse studies. She also wanted Purdue to grind up OxyContin and inject it into animals to test what happens when the drug is abused. We know from the confidential minutes that we obtained of a meeting between Purdue and FDA officials that Purdue said it did not understand why a study was necessary. OxyContin contains oxycodone, which is already a controlled substance subject to DEA regulations. And according to the meeting minutes, the FDA medical reviewer in the room, a man named Curtis Wright, he agreed. Those meeting minutes are just a few pieces of paper out of hundreds that we found in a West Virginia County courthouse not far from where Joey Ballard lives. The documents I found give us a glimpse into the rarely seen inner workings of a drug company in the FDA, a regulator that is supposed to protect public health before all else. A judge gave me permission to come dig through three large boxes from a lawsuit that the state brought against Purdue in 2001. At this point, OxyContin had been on the market more than five years. The lawsuit was settled in 2004 for just $10 million. It was one of a spate of lawsuits in the early 2000s that alleged Purdue had engaged in improper marketing practices. Some of those lawsuits were thrown out, others settled. Purdue had deep pockets and a team of big-name lawyers, including Rudy Giuliani, Eric Holder, and Mary Jo White. But things caught up to Purdue in 2007 when the company and three top executives pleaded guilty to criminal charges, charges that they illegally misbranded OxyContin in an effort to mislead and defraud doctors and patients. All right, so this is typically a very competitive category, Uh, the interview talk show category. This is actually like a big one. I mean, this is kind of an interview and talk show. A lot of interview talk shows, a lot of really good ones out there. We had some great nominees and winners in this category last year. 
Um, so this is super competitive. And I was very excited to see the winner here because it's definitely a podcast I love and listen to a lot, which is Death, Sex, and Money, the Webby Winner interview talk show hosted by Anna Sale. You guys listen to Death, Sex, and Money? Love Anna Sale. I don't. Yeah, that's okay. Well, now it's like you have your but I'm own. I'm going to now. You have your own package of the wire as well. I mean, you just introduced me to something new. There you go. It's, it's like the new tingly feeling. Talk shows. So if you don't know Death, Sex, and Money, again, it's probably obvious by the category. It's a, it's a, interview type show. And I think the thing about Anna Sale though is that she is interested or her team and the talk the show itself is interested in the kind of things that people don't feel that comfortable talking about. So it's not necessarily taboo topics, but it's just topics and things that are a little bit off the beaten path, a little bit types of things that people are, you know, nervous or don't feel comfortable talking about. And I guess similar in a very different way and different world to Bill Simmons. Um, she's really good at getting people to open up and she does some really great interviews. And one that I really love recently is with Lena Waith, who is in and is also a writer of uh, Master of None, the Netflix show with Aziz Ansari. Um, and just a really great interview. I really I recommend people listen to it. And, you know, most and many, many other episodes of Death, Sex and Money. But uh, she talks a bit about how she sort of got to where she was and how she really recommends that people who are trying to do something really hard find like a sponsor she talks about, which I thought was really interesting. And she talks, and for her, it was her mom. And she talks about how she went to college and came back from college. And then her mom was like, Oh, I guess I'm like supporting you now too. And it was sort of like a deal they made to help her um, get out in the world. Cause what she was trying to do, get into Hollywood and be a screenwriter was really challenging. Um, and again, I just think it's like very typical of the type of stuff that you'll hear on death, sex and money, which is really interesting interviews with people. But about things and sort of going beneath the surface in a way that you just don't hear other places. I lived deep in the valley, like Van Nuys deep uh, valley. There was a roach or two that lived there with me, and I was working at Blockbuster. I transferred my job, my Blockbuster job from Chicago to L.A. That's who I was. I remember we would work late nights and have to swap out the, the old releases with the new releases. I remember listening to Dane Cook's album over the intercom. While we uh, would, you know, swap stuff out. I know what it's like to to be at the starting line of a marathon on your way to a dream. And you were living all by yourself. Living by myself. Living by myself. But I was happy. I was happy. I was a little scared. I felt really small. You feel really small when you first moved to Los Angeles. And also you feel like a nobody. Because you're like, nobody cares about me. Because that's the thing about L.A. It's all about who are you? What do you mean to me? You know, and what what can I get from you? What can you do for me? Do you know how much you were getting paid an hour? I mean, maybe a dollar or two above minimum wage. Maybe. It was just, it was definitely, you know, you know, dues paying time. And not, I wasn't even paying dues yet. I was just out there figuring it out. And uh, I was really broke. And I was really grateful to have a family that was willing to pay my rent for a year. That's the funny thing. Whenever mm. I talk to people who say, oh, I want to move out to L.A. and do this, I always say it's good to have a dream, but you also got to have a sponsor. You know, you got to mm. have somebody that's willing to pay your phone bill when you can't afford to. You got to have somebody that's willing to supplement some of your income because your job is not paying you enough. I mean, that I don't even know what that check was doing for me. I mean, my mom was like, here, okay, I went from paying the college tuition to the rent. We're going to figure it out. What was it like negotiating that sponsorship from your mom for that first year of rent out in L.A.? It wasn't awful. You know, she was just happy that her daughter was making something of her life. I think she really took pride in that and was happy to pay whatever she needed to. 
And I think for her, it was an investment. She was like, Lena's going to be somebody. She's trying to do something. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But All right, I so I thought I'd wrap up. One category they have that's different than the rest is best individual episodes. And so typically, you know, judges and winners in the podcast category, we're looking at, um, you know, podcasts for a whole season or like a whole show, not just one episode. But this is one of the categories um, that's really just focused on the best episode. And we have some other things like best writing and so forth. But um, I thought this was really different and a good place to end up. But I know, Steve, you're a fan of this podcast. I was, you know, and it's interesting. Especially. Yeah, because I didn't discover it until the nominees were announced. And I was kind of looking through PV and the People's Voice website and looking at different podcast nominees. And then out of nowhere, I sort of decided just based on the fact that I was interested in conversations with people who hate me um, personally in life. I've been thinking about ways to sort of like bridge the gap, if you will. I've noticed a lot on my social media that there's a massive divide between, you know, let's say the left and the right or whatever there is in this echo chamber. So I was like, you know, I was interested to see what people are doing with this. Uh, and it is a really interesting podcast. And this episode in particular is really moving, if you will. And basically it's, uh, it's run by uh, a video maker named Dylan Marin. And he noticed that in his life he was getting some really... Uh, pointed vitriol his way on the videos that he would post to YouTube, et cetera. And what he tried to do was just sort of reach out to the people that would say really mean things to him, uh, trolling him online, and not necessarily win the argument or win the conversation, but just listen. That's his whole point is like, he's not getting on the phone with these people to convince them to think otherwise. He just wants to hear where they're coming from. Um, and it's actually incredibly moving, believe it or not. And I think it's a really good format to try to bridge those divides without really being pedantic and trying to make somebody sort of, you know, sort of see your way of thinking or come to your side of the... the so the podcast is really like conversation. It's like phone calls mostly. It's phone right? calls. Yeah. I mean, he finds people, he, he calls them up, uh, and they just have interesting conversations. Sometimes it's more successful than other times. Sometimes people are really adamant and really uh, entrenched in, in the way that they feel about him. Uh, he, you know, is sort of self... Uh, identified social justice warrior, and he really sort of fights on behalf of, uh, you know, really important social issues out there. And this particular episode, the it was hurt people, uh, hurt people. He talks to um, someone named Josh, that basically said he's the reason why the country is dividing itself. And they really get into sort of identity politics, um, and it's just it's it's a really really moving. Uh, discourse about this current state of things. I think it's better than anything I've heard so far trying to really try to to bridge the gap between those two really disparate groups of people. So it's also a great I mean another another example of the difference between what people will say when they're screaming at you on Twitter versus on the phone, right? It's like the phone calls are so much nicer generally, even though they disagree. Not yeah. all of them, but some of them then. A hundred percent. the I comments mean, are. Uh, there's a lot of like, I was drinking when I posted right. that. Yeah. You know, people are A, embarrassed to sort of be called out, but B, I would give them some credit for getting on the phone and just sort of like living it. Um, some people have <laughs> no remorse at all, but many of the people that he speaks with you know, are initially um, remorseful for using personal attacks, but then they get into sort of the deeper politics of things. So it's a, I think it's a, a really beautiful uh, accounting of, of sort of the conversations that people are having out there that we may be unaware of that are happening, which is really great. So today I'm talking to Josh. 
and a little while ago, Josh sent me this message. You're a moron. You're the reason this country is dividing itself. All of your videos are merely opinion and an awful opinion, I must say. Just stop. Plus, being gay is a sin. So, I am going to call Josh right now. Hey, is this Josh? Hey, yeah, it is. How's your day going so far? It's good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. So, Josh, what inspired you to send that message to me? What sparked that first message? I was just angry about it all. It was just a lot of, it was a buildup of all your multiple videos you made of stuff, and I just got mad. I'm pretty sure the video was something about police brutality. And I have a lot of family in the police force, and it just kind of angered me. Can you remember what specific uh, video I made that uh, sparked that first message? Uh, police brutality unboxing. Unboxing police brutality. Okay. So All right, so quick context. Josh is referring to a video from my unboxing series. And you know the real unboxing videos where popular YouTubers unbox the latest electronic gadgets? Okay, so I satirized those videos by unboxing intangible ideologies like Islamophobia and rape culture. Now here is a clip from the video that Josh is referring to. The people who say it doesn't exist are full of shit. Today, I'm unboxing police brutality. Okay, so, um... Tell me a little about you. Well, my name is Josh. I'm 18 years old. I am currently a senior in high school, graduating in two weeks. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. I am going to a local junior college in my uh, hometown, and I will be going to be an occupational therapist assistant, which is basically you get in a car accident or any accident and lose mobility of any part of your body, I will basically be there to perform everyday activities with you, as little as walking or holding something until you can, it's basically rehab until you can get the mobility back to yourself. That sounds awesome. So what, what is, what makes you want to go into that field? Originally, I was wanting to go into counseling. I love to help people, even though a lot of times I don't show that. I love everyone. I love to help. But counseling would take a lot more time in college, a lot more money that I cannot afford myself and neither can my family. And so I just thought it'd be a good idea to go into that. Um, so you were telling me that you responded pretty negatively to my video uh, against police brutality. And you said it was, it was largely because you have a lot of police in your family. I had a ton of police officers in my family and... Because of that, anytime I walk past a police officer, military person, fireman, I just stop to thank them because that's, in my mind, every day they put their lives on the line for us. All right, you two, our executive director, executive producer, Combo, Claire Graves, Steve Marchese, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us, DMD. Yeah, it's great Steve, to be here. Thanks thanks we you. should do that this was, again sometime. We should do it again. That was really fun. I want to encourage everyone, whether you go listen to these episodes that we feature that we just personally like. And by the way, there's like a whole bunch of other ones that we also like, but you probably don't want to listen to five hours of us talking. Um, I really encourage you to go to webbywords.com, look at the winner section, all of them, but look at podcasts. And I think it's really, even though I was joking around about S-Town being like, if you hadn't listened to it, a, a, you know, a gift of the wire in a box that you could listen to too. 
almost all these, I mean, almost all these episodes and all these shows are really like that. There's just like a whole world out there. Everybody has their favorites they're already listening to, but I think this is just a great chance to, just as we've done and have been doing, um, download some new ones and get excited and get expired with all this great, all this great audio content that's out there. Um, Webby winners for 2018, which we will be celebrating at the Webby Awards on May 14th and live on demand on May 15th. We'll have some moments and podcast winners there too, right, Claire? Oh, yeah. There'll be lots of podcast winners up on stage. Get ready podcasters with your five-word speeches. Like You would think they're going to be very good, I would say. They should be. You think so? I mean, they're used to talking for a long time. (laughs) That's true. Thank you so much to Claire and Steve for joining me in the studio. Be sure to explore all our Webby winners, podcasts, websites, films, ads, games, social, and mobile in the winners gallery at webbyawards.com. It is a rabbit hole of internet goodness. And a quick alert for your calendar, the whole Webby Awards show hosted by Amber Ruffin will be available on demand at webbyawards.com the morning of May 15th, so stay tuned. Our producer is Sebastian Ade. Our editorial director is Nicole Ferraro. Research and writing by Jordana Jarrett. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is the Caesar Milan of your world. Thank you for listening. We will be back with you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.